Thank you to the Trader Talk sponsor, Market Cipher. Market Cipher is an all-in-one trading indicator package that works for every market, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, and yes, traditional markets. Market Cipher has an 82% satisfaction rate with over 3,000 unique users comprised of both brand new and seasoned traders. You're probably thinking to yourself, what makes Market Cipher so unique considering the market is flooded with indicators? Well, it has three main charting overlays that will give you the edge you need to sustain profitability. Market Cipher A, Market Cipher B, and Market Cipher SR all provide a range of indicators from oscillators, ribbons, waves, custom symbols, and more. Every trader needs an edge and Market Cipher will give you an edge with everything you need to turn yourself into a profitable trader. Still not sold? Well, Market Cipher comes with plenty of tutorials, walkthroughs, paid professional support, and best of all, an amazing positive community. As traders, having a community that we can go back and forth with and talk to, double check our confluence with our strategies and different indicators, things we're seeing in the market is extremely important. Try Market Cipher today. Everyone, welcome back to Trader Talk. I have got my good buddy Cobra on here today. How are you doing today, Cobra? I'm doing very well, Wendy. How are you doing? I'm amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I'm excited to talk to you today. Absolutely. Uh, I hope you had a good Memorial Day weekend and all that jazz. <laughs> yeah, we know we've been at home just kind of just chilling and all yeah. all different types of stuff. And by the time this, this um, episode airs, it'll probably be um, like August. <laughs> <laughs> so I have no idea when I'm going to Hopefully it'll all be over by then. Yes. Yes. I hope so. Um, so first and foremost, I guess kind of just introduce yourself. Give, give us a little background about you. Sure. So uh, I'm Cobra, Cobra Trading. Uh, you guys can call me Scott. I don't mind putting my first name out there at all. Uh, so I pretty much started getting involved heavily in digital assets in 2017. But before that, I had experience trading in foreign exchange markets and uh, commodities and futures and stuff like that. So like gold, you know, corn, you know, just regular commodities, mercantile stuff. And that was pretty much how I got my start doing that part time while I was still working as a chef. I was a chef professionally for 10 or 12 years. And then I started trading part time on weekends and stuff like that. Just kind of learning as I was going, lots of blowing up a whole lot of paper trade accounts <laughs> and just kind of learning as I went. And then in 2017, that's kind of when I discovered digital assets and Bitcoin and, uh, you know, the glorious amount of crap I, I, ICOs and stuff that was going on. Mm -hmm. So that was fun. So quick question. Did you, um, when did you become a full-time trader or a professional trader? So I decided to go full-time trading about four years back. And okay. the reason why I did that was because I started cutting my hours back at work. Obviously I was working full time trading like, you know, just on the weekends or whenever I had time. And what I did was I started doing it more. I started growing my portfolio up over time and just kind of adding to the portfolio that I was actually live trading with. And what ended up happening was the money that I was making on the side was actually enough to supplement uh, the other half of the income that I was making full time. So I started cutting my hours back slowly at work and started dedicating more time to educating myself and getting more into the markets, doing more research, learning more uh, trading techniques and stuff like that, and just kind of getting more into the game of trading so that I could finally transition to the point where I could trade full time and day trade and trade multiple assets 
instead of, you know, working in a hot ass kitchen for 14 hours a day over, you know, over in a hundred degree kitchen, you know, it was, it's terrible. I mean, I have fun, obviously as a chef, it's something that I was really passionate about and it's still something I love to do. But at the end of the day, uh, the money and the benefits were, were just not there, you know, always having to work for someone else instead of being your own boss. I never really liked that idea. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what drew me into uh, just doing my own thing and creating my own source of revenue that I can rely on instead. Yeah, that's actually really, really cool. And I have a lot of ad- admiration for how you went about it because a lot of people think, oh, I can trade and I can make money trading doing this full time. So they quit their job automatically. They don't take into, they don't take in the opportunity cost into, they don't really consider it. And you did that. So you said, okay, if I'm spending this amount of time doing this, it's good. I should, you know, take this amount of time and then place it here. So that's a good way to look at it. So if you guys are watching or listening to this, if you want to become a full-time professional, trader or if you want to start doing it on the side you have to pay attention to the opportunity cost is it does it fit with your lifestyle does it make sense and if you have a full-time job just don't quit your job today no that's definitely a terrible idea and I think in terms of like transitioning from like working a normal day job to somebody that wants to really get into making that their sole source of income it takes a long time like I mean I spent probably a year or two just messing around with paper trading accounts while I was still learning, while I was learning everything that I needed to know, you know, indicators, different kinds of analysis, uh, learning really good trustworthy sources of where to get my fundamental analysis, because uh, for traditional markets, that plays a huge role, um, probably the main role in where traditional markets and especially Forex and stuff like that, where those markets will go. With Bitcoin, it's just kind of buy the rumor, sell the news, um, you know, and that that's pretty much it. Uh, But once I started getting more into crypto and I realized how volatile it was, uh, there was definitely, there was money lost along the way of dealing with the volatility with that. But I think good advice for people that are starting out and they want to make that transition is you have to slowly build up your portfolio. Like don't take your life savings and throw it in a portfolio while you're still learning. Like definitely paper trade first. Like you said, definitely do not quit your day job like all at once and take all your money and throw it into, you know, a portfolio or something and, you know, expect to hit it big on, on some crazy hundred X trade. Like it's just not going to happen. Um, there are some people that got lucky and made it big like that, but I want to kind of call that dumb luck. You know, you kind of, when you're trading, you have to be reactive to the markets. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can't, the market is going to justify itself. Like the market's never going to be wrong. So you kind of have to plan for that. No, of course. I think that's a really good point that you brought up and I'm actually glad that you brought it up. So as far as, okay, you said that fundamentals play a bigger role in traditional markets as opposed to crypto. So would you say that in crypto, technical analysis is a better way to go about when deciding when you want to enter or exit something? So it really is going to depend on the style of trading that you like to do. Uh, Personally, I feel like technical analysis is way more viable um, on traditional markets, like especially with uh, foreign exchange pairings. So, you know, like the Euro USD and stuff like that, because since it's higher liquidity and it's a more liquid market where you've got hundreds of trillions of dollars being traded in every one of those asset classes every day, you know, there's no manipulation there. So technical analysis plays a really strong role in that as well. But when you have something like 
what's going on now with you know this global pandemic and stuff mm -hmm. and how it's affecting uh, the global economics of all of these different countries that have all of their own monetary systems, that plays a major role in it as well. But when it comes to Bitcoin and digital assets and stuff like that, I think the reason why news plays a role as well as you know technical analysis is because since it's lower liquidity, when you've got you know, some token that's launching its mainnet, for example, they're launching a mainnet that's really good. And then you kind of get back to that thing that it's like, okay, we're going to buy the rumor and we're going to sell the news. So since it's a lower liquid market, you know, you will see a lot of volatility in there when something like that occurs. But in terms of is one better than the other, I don't really think so. I think it, the best way to approach it is to incorporate both of them because if you only trade what the charts tell you, there could be some major news event and it just totally crashes the market and you have no reason, you have no understanding as to why because you weren't keeping up with the news, you weren't understanding you know, the fundamentals behind what you're, the asset that you're physically trading. So I think doing research, especially before you buy a token in the first place, especially like an altcoin or something is definitely really good advice. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you want to make sure that they have sound products. You want to make sure that they're a viable company. You want to find out who's running the company and just do your own research, you know, do your due diligence and find out all of those different aspects before deciding to invest in anything. And the same goes for traditional markets as well. Like if you want to invest in some stock and it's cheap, but it's a penny stock. Well, you know, does that penny stock have an actual working product? Same thing with Bitcoin. You know, that's where in 2017, when we had all those issues with ICOs that, you know, people make memes about them all the time, you know, the, uh, the infinity stones and all of that, like <laughs> the <laughs> expectations versus reality. It's, it's literally the exact same thing across all markets. So I think both of them play a really big part in when it comes to making your own trading plan. Fair enough. So let's talk a little bit about um, kind of what got you into trading way back when traditional markets. <sighs> Just trying to form my own income that I wasn't relying on somebody else signing my own paychecks. Uh, that that was really the big thing for me. Uh, just kind of breaking away from being, um, you know, just solely reliant on a company or a person signing my checks and being basically responsible for me and my family's well-being. It was that thought kind of like drove me crazy. Like, you know, when I go to work, I'm like trusting my boss that he's going to pay me at the end of the week. If something mm -hmm. happens and he can't pay me, I'm screwed because I don't have any other source of income. So I think that's pretty much where like that whole mentality kind of switched me over to being like, you know what, maybe I should find something else or just do something on the side that will get me into uh, you know, being able to provide my own, you know, monetary value in a, in separate bank accounts and stuff as like, you know, kind of like a rainy day fund. Right. Um, and just kind of trying to start a nest egg. Uh, plus, I think the birth of my daughter also had like a huge effect on that as well. Um, you know, being reliant on somebody else to pay me when my daughter is reliant on me to provide for her I should be the one that's solely providing for my family, not relying on somebody else to sign those paychecks for me. So I think that's where it came in. It's kind of funny how kids kind of force us to do things to, be, to better ourselves. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like I mean, of course, as you do uh, start adulting more. A hundred percent. So as far as how did you learn? Were there books? Were there, was there a YouTube series? Was there like, so did you have, books. did you have like, like a, like a mentor? Like, how did you learn? So a combination of a lot of reading. Um, I found that there, don't get me wrong. There's really good educators out there on YouTube. There's a lot of good resources for free information uh, in terms of like getting into like learning the basics and stuff. Um, everybody knocks Investopedia and stuff, but honestly, that's a great place to start if you're trying to learn fundamentals of, you know, just very basic introductory stuff. Um, honestly, that is one of the websites that I started using when I was first starting to kind of understand candlestick theory, you know, how to read candlesticks, different patterns, four candlesticks, different candlesticks and what they mean, all of that stuff, just kind of like the basic introductory, you know, like trading technical analysis fundamentals. Mm -hmm. um, but besides that, what I really learned from was uh, just reading books. I've got a file on my computer that has probably 200 PDF documents in it of, of trading books. Now, I haven't read every single one of them. Still I'm still working <laughs> through that, but uh, definitely as I was getting more into trading, I found that reading uh, books that are physically published um, by hopefully well-known authors is a lot more reliable than just kind of scouring the internet for answers. Uh, there's a lot of misinformation out there. Through reading books, I found out in information that I had previously read that was actually incorrect. Oh, wow. um, same thing goes for YouTube videos. So you have to be really careful when you know, you've, you know, you're watching this guy's YouTube channel or, or something, you know, and he says one thing and then you read a book and it completely contradicts it. Well, now that's going to make you question everything that that person said. True. So if you were learning a trading strategy from some dude on YouTube, um, you know, and then you read a book that proves that strategy, not very trustworthy, like you shouldn't be relying on that by itself. It kind of contradicts itself. So I found that just sticking to actual reading material the actual pen and paper, taking notes and stuff like that worked a lot better. Yeah, that's actually good. I'm glad that you brought that up. So Investopedia, there's a lot of really great free resources. Like even when I do some of my educational content, like if I forget what something is, I'll just kind of go back and I'll skim through Investopedia because they break it down really well. And I think the favorite, yeah. my most favorite thing that they have on there is they have the key takeaways. And that's really cool because it's like two or three sentences, maybe four or five, but it really just hits, it really hits hard on those points. And those are like the most important points. And me, I'm like a very fast person. I have to like, just tell them like, just show me how to do something. Like, I don't want to take a whole lot of time reading or doing research. Like I will do research and I'm, I'm pretty good at it. But as far as learning to do something, like show me, like break it down as simple as possible and just show me in like five the minutes. The Cliff Notes edition. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, and then, cause I, I tend to pick things up really, really well. So you talked about reading a lot of different books. Do you have like a favorite indicator or like a system that you use for every single one of your trades? So not for every single one of my trades. So over the years of learning and just kind of putting my own strategies together and realizing how different and uh, the difference in volatility between digital assets and traditional assets um, and the difference between like long-term plays. So, you know, like uh, you know, you've got your scalping plays and your intraday trades, and then mm -hmm. you've got your swing plays that are going to take place over a lot longer span of time. I feel like for the people that, trade digital assets solely kind of 
understand swing trading a little differently because things happen so fast in, in mm -hmm. the digital asset world that when somebody hears swing trade, they say, oh yeah, well, I'm only, I'm going to have that trade open for no more than a day or two. And that's a swing trade for them. Um, maybe a week. And that's definitely that, that would be like a very short term trade in traditional markets, even with Forex, if you're swing trading, swing trade is going to last you for at least three weeks to a month and a half. You know, like it's a totally different deal. The markets move slower. Um, you know, that's just the way it is. Chart patterns take a lot longer time to develop. And again, it goes back to the level of liquidity that's there. That's why it takes longer time for trends to identify themselves and things like that. So in terms of swing trading and day trading, like Bitcoin, for instance, I have two different uh, methods that I use for I, for each one because you know I'm, I'm making swing plays on probably the one hour, four hour mm -hmm. uh, time frame and looking at the daily or the weekly chart to see the overall trend. And then when I'm scalping on Bitcoin, I look at maybe the one hour to see the overall trend, you know, for the whole day or whatever. And then I'm actually making my entries on the one minute chart or the five minute chart, mm -hmm. for instance. Okay. So with trading traditional assets like Forex, it's going to be a little different. Like the timeframes that I analyze before I enter positions for swings and scalps are the same, uh, but the indicators and the strategies that I use are a little bit different because when an indicator like, uh, like the MACD or a moving average, for example, right? Like those are always going to be lagging indicators and they work a little better in uh digital assets because they move quicker and there's more volatility. So it's kind of like neither here nor there. You kind of have to get comfortable with what indicators you like to use and just kind of experiment with them. And uh, there's this one kind of uh, very well-known phase that everybody goes through as their journey when they're learning to trade is they go indicator crazy mm -hmm. and they start loading up all different indicators on their charts, messing with all of them, changing all the settings, see which ones work on different timeframes, which ones don't, combining a whole bunch of them together. I totally encourage that. And that's a phase that I went through as well. And that was how I was able to develop my trading strategies. I tested and went through probably over 2000 different indicators on different timeframes, messing with settings. It was a whole phase of my trading journey that lasted for a solid three or six months. And I finally narrowed it down to like a good four or five that I normally use, uh, mainly a Chimoku cloud, a couple moving averages. Um, I use the RSI on larger timeframes, but I like to use the SMI or Gothic indicator on the slower, on the lower timeframes. Um, and then that's pretty much it. Talk to me about the SM, what was it? The SMRI? The SMI or Gothic uh, oscillator. So okay, talk, talk that's to us about that. Three different line indicator um, okay. and it has a zero line. So Basically, what I do is I like having a traditional single line indicator with a zero line cross. So basically, you know, when you compare that to the RSI, the RSI has got, you know, a range of zero to 100. And then the ranges for overbought and oversold are 30 and 70. And uh, when you have a zero cross indicator, similar to the MACD, um, except only one line on this one, basically what it does is depending on the settings that you have, of course, and the time frame you're looking at. Basically what that does is it's another momentum indicator, but the way that it calculates things are a little different. It's kind of a lot to get into right now, That's like okay. in terms of how it calculates everything, all of that information is out there, but um, I find it to be more accurate, especially on uh, the lower time frames, to be able to detect if the market momentum is actually bullish or bearish on, sh on smaller time frames. So, 
I like to use that versus RSI. Um, RSI, I think, is better for larger timeframes. I stick to that on four hour and above timeframes. Um, normally, when you're really overbought or oversold on a four hour or a daily chart, normally you start seeing some kind of a reversal, mm -hmm. uh, especially in traditional markets. Bitcoin kind of doesn't really care too much about your indicators. In 2017, everybody knows you can look back at your MACD indicator from 2017. It was just maxed out at 100 for like two weeks straight. Um, so the indicators you kind of got to be really careful with and you got to get used to the ones that you feel most comfortable with using on different time frames as you're experimenting on different time frames as you go through your trading journey yeah i totally agree with that one thing i will say like if you're using the rsi or the macd because they are lagging indicators and when you're talking about lagging indicators it means it takes a little bit longer to catch up to the market so what i do is like once something gets to be like overbought or oversold in my head i say okay what time frame are we looking at and then i'll go back to another time on the chart to when it was either overbought or oversold i'll kind of calculate how long that stayed overbought or oversold so then i'll pull that over, like kind of fractal like to where i'll pull that over and be like okay well it was oversold for 40 days before or 10 days or two days and i'll kind of wait for that to you know see if that plays out yeah at, at the end of the day 99 percent of indicators are always going to be reactive versus versus predictive right because it can only form its data from the data that's already there. So, you know, that, that's one thing that, you know, a lot of people go on this search for the perfect indicator that doesn't repaint and shows you buys and sells and all of this stuff. And yeah, there's plenty of indicators and, you know, buy and sell indicators out there on TradingView that some, some of them repaint, some of them don't repaint. But at the end of the day, you still are never going to get a confirmed signal until that candle, that candle physically closes. Like, if you're entering a trade in the middle of a four hour candle, it's probably not the best idea to do that. You know, if you're entering a swing position that you're going to be in for a long time. True. So, you know, it, I, my recommendation, especially when opening positions, especially on the smaller timeframes and stuff, um, you got to wait until those candles close. Like if you're trading on a 15 minute chart, you can't jump into a trade when, when there's, you know, seven or eight minutes left on, on that candle. Like you got to wait, for confirmation, always wait for confirmation until those candles close because that's when you're gonna find your best entries. Question, do you have um, like a system to where you need your three indicators to do something before you enter in a trade? Like what is your, how, how do you determine like a trigger yes. area? Like, okay, like, you know, my RSI, my MACD, my Ichimoku, they're all looking bullish. So I'm gonna go ahead and take this trade. I'm gonna go ahead and enter because a lot of people don't talk about what the trigger is, what you need, what you actually need to see in the market to buy or sell. And I think that's important, especially when we're dealing with risk management. Yeah. Um, and especially for people that are wanting to scalp and make money really quickly on these lower timeframes, like, uh, especially if you're first starting, like I really, guys, please don't, if you're first starting, don't start trading on the one minute timeframe. Like you got to learn exactly what you're doing first before you start doing that. But for instance, when I'm scalping on really low timeframes, one minute, five minute and stuff like that, I, in part of my system is absolutely to have I want two of three confirmations of my indicators. I'm normally using maybe three indicators uh, for my scalping strategy for Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And I want two of three of those to confirm whether or not I should enter into a trade first. So if I'm using the SMI and I'm using a whole moving average and I'm using my MACD, I want my MACD to be crossing bullish. I want my SMI to be in bullish territory. 
and I want my whole moving average to be turning green before I enter into a trade. I want two of three of those things to be happening before okay. I enter into a trade. Um, and normally the deciding factor is whether or not the MACD is crossing bullishly above or below the zero line. Uh, normally if, it's, if you see a, a bullish cross below the zero line, but you've already been in a downtrend, normally that just means that you're getting a, a rebound before the trend continues. Um, so a MACD is a really good trend continuation indicator that you can find out, um, is the market gonna keep moving in the same direction that it's moving? Uh, and you tell that by if it's above or below uh, the zero line. Um, so that's, that's a continuation indicator. Uh, normally a good, normally you wanna have a continuation indicator. You wanna have uh, some kind of an exit or enter indicator. Um, and you wanna have some kind of indicator that detects just the general momentum of the market. So for me, the general momentum of the market, again, is uh, either the RSI or the SMI uh, oscillator. And then uh, I make my, enter, my entries and exits based off of the whole moving average on those lower timeframes. Okay. All right. So what, what, do you have an edge or a secret you want to share with anyone? What makes you not better than other traders, but what, what's, what tactic that's part of your, your setup or like when you want to enter or exit something like what, what's your edge? So man, I wish I had, you might be able to link, um, I'll send you the link so you can put this in the video description. Um, once the video goes out there, but there's a, there's a really great tool. Let me see if I can find, I forgot what the name of it is. Um, there's a really good trading tool that pretty much aggregates all of the data from all major exchanges, especially like derivatives exchanges and stuff like mm -hmm. that. It takes all of the data and what it does is it shows you all large trades, normally above 10,000. Okay. Um, so with this tool, it's called the BTC um, scalp index. So there's two tools. The scalp index um, shows you pretty much where hidden orders are. So hidden orders are pretty much big whales that want to put their orders on the books, but they don't want everybody to see where their buys or sell walls are. Mm. Um, normally they're trying to manipulate the market or suppress the price or prop the price up so that they can get a better entry when it, you know, when the price drops down again, they can get a better entry on their long positions. So those are called iceberg orders. And um, I'll give you these links so you can put them in there. Uh, the scalp index is a really good one for detecting hidden buy and sell walls across uh, multiple exchanges, including BitMEX, uh, I believe Coinbase and uh, Binance are on there as oh, well. Wow. Um, I think BitMEX or Bitfinex is also listed on there. And then there's another um, tool that I use. I don't really know what the name of it is. There's just a website for it. Um, I'll have the link for you. And what that does is it detects all of the trades across all those exchanges, like I mentioned, um, hit BTC, Kraken, Coinbase, basically Derbit, all of them, almost every major exchange that you can think of. And it takes all of those trades and basically puts it um, in a recent order window. So you can see all of those trades on Bitcoin progressively. And it also has a chart for you. And it will also show you when the liquidations are happening, how much they're for and, and at what price levels. So I normally, when I'm trading, especially on leverage, I will normally have that order window open on my screen at all times because 
there's only so much order depth that you get when you're when you have the order book open on your exchange there's only so much like market depth that they'll allow you to see i think on uh bybit which is what i trade on i think the most that they let you aggregate the data by is by one whole dollar and that's it you can't sort it by 10 or 25 or 50 or any of that on bitmex you can but on bybit they don't have that so I normally have this open at all times so that I can physically see all of the major trades happening as they happen across all the major exchanges. So when I'm scalping, that way I kind of know immediately, okay, is this going to be a good spot for me to enter right now or you know, for a long, or is there so much sell pressure right now that if I, if I try to long this, I'm just gonna end up getting stopped out immediately and just wasting my money. Right. Um, so I normally have that tool open at all times. Uh, and then I'll normally have the scalp index open in a separate window. So I can kind of just keep an eye on where bigger whales are placing their hidden buy and sell walls so that I can be wary of, you know, I don't want to set along and then my stop loss is right where their liquidity pool is. That's how you end up getting stopped out of trades. So how many computer screens do you have? Uh, I have three. Okay. I just added a third. I just added a third one. One's pretty much just for social media and discord and telegram okay. and all that stuff. So. <laughs> I, had to, I had to ask, I just have one and I've got a couple trading laptops, but I try to just do everything on one because then I'm like, Oh, this and that, and this and that. If you so. have one screen and then you also have a laptop, that's actually a really good setup. Okay, cool. I'm I, I, I like having uh, the laptop, my laptop burnt out on me. And that was why I just didn't want to buy a third laptop. Um, I've gone through, that's three laptops now in like three or four years. I didn't want to buy another one. Don't blame uh, you. So I just bought a screen instead. I just bought a third screen. <laughs> I think I'm at three laptops right now. Nice. <laughs> but I use them all for different things. Oh, that's another thing to kind of touch on. You guys, if you are trading in crypto, please make sure to have different passwords and different email addresses for every single exchange that you use. Make sure you 2FA on a phone that is not connected to your regular phone that you use every day. Make sure it is kept offline. If you can have a separate computer or laptop for trading, one for social media, all that stuff. And the reason why I do that is because, or even different towers, the reason why I do that is just in case but just had to throw that out there. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, people are even, uh, they're, they're SIM, they're, what is it called? SIM swapping. Mm -hmm. uh, they're SIM swapping people now. If you can, a really good idea is to call your cell phone provider. If you are using your 2FA on your normal device. Don't do that guys, um, please. <laughs> I, I actually, I actually do that. Um, but with my cell phone provider, they actually have a secret, passcode for me that's six number digits long that the person has to give. Like when I call them for tech support or if I call them for anything, that's one of the first things that they ask me is, okay, what's, what's the pin for the account? Right. And nobody can get into my account to do anything unless that, that pin is valid, unless they have that number, nothing could happen. So that's the only reason why I use my regular phone for that. But I also use Google Fi. I don't have Verizon or, you know, any of that stuff. Makes sense. So what advice would you give yourself 10 years ago when you started trading that let's say <sighs> 10 you, years ago, well, buy you, Bitcoin. <laughs> well, well you today, so, you know, you're a professional trader. Now you have a family. This is what you do for a living. Your income is a hundred percent comes from trading. So what, if you can go back and talk to yourself and say, what would you like say, do this, don't do this. What would you do? Or what would you say? Oh, I would say, Oh, man, I would say, Scott, don't set your stops too loose. 
Um, I would also say don't ever use a limit order as your stop. Uh, that's probably the most important thing. Don't ever use a limit order as your stop, especially if you're trading on derivatives exchange. Let's talk about that a little bit because some people may not know what that is or why that's important. So a limit order is basically um, just a, just, there's a lot of different orders, right? And a limit order is basically going to be, uh, it's, it's not going to trigger immediately. So if you're in a trade and you want to set a stop or a, a stop limit, um, you put your limit order there. And what ends up happening is if the price reverses, in theory, once it gets to that price, it should trigger your stop loss, right? Correct. Well, in Bitcoin, that's not how it works all the time. <laughs> so uh, what happens on very fast, very... Um, very aggressive volatility. Like if you get a $500 real quick dump on Bitcoin, which we see all the time, that limit order will get stopped by. And if you don't have enough margin in your account, that's when you get liquidated. In traditional assets, your account can go negative and then you get a margin call, but obviously you can't margin call somebody for Bitcoin. So your account just goes to zero. <laughs> but uh, setting a stop market order basically guarantees that when the price hits that value in the order book, it will trigger at market price when it hits there. A limit order, um, you're putting it there at that limit to sell or buy, whatever, to get out of your position, but it's not a market order, so it can get skipped by on super fast volatility. A market order is basically going to guarantee you that if you're leaving a position overnight, that you will get out of that trade in case the price reverses. So it's kind of like a little safety net. Like you may have to pay a little bit of an extra fee because it's a market order, mm -hmm. uh, but it's better than your account going to zero. You know, I totally agree with you. Risk management is so important. And I'm a big person or big proponent for paying a little bit more for san to keep my sanity, to keep me sane. Because when you're trading, it's a 20, especially crypto, it's a 24 hour market. Things do not stop. So you need to make sure your risk is, is in place, especially when you sleep, you need to sleep. I just had someone on a couple episodes ago, they were talking about those. Some of their worst trades are because they fell asleep. So, you know, you, you have to figure out what works for you and figure out how to protect yourself in a safe way that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's definitely been a couple times that I've had, um, uh, I also, this is actually one thing that I want to mention too, is uh, don't put all of your eggs in one basket. So mm -hmm. like if you're, if you want to trade on, on one exchange, like don't keep all your Bitcoin there, um, especially if you want to make swing trades, but then also like day trade and stuff. Don't put all of your portfolio into one scalping account. Like I definitely have different accounts for that. Mm -hmm. um, you want to keep your your scalping money definitely separate uh, from your actual main portfolio that you're using to trade for, for bigger size positions and stuff. Um, and thank God that I've done that because there's definitely been times that, yeah, I forgot to set a market order instead and I've woken up liquidated. Oh, there goes my thousand dollar scalp account. It's gone. You know, like it's, it's definitely happened to me before. It's happened to, you know, probably millions of people especially people that um, are getting into trading for the first time, mm -hmm. just into digital assets. So definitely make sure that your funds are separated. Don't keep more funds on the exchange uh, than you need. Keep them in cold storage. Go get a treasure, you know, keep them somewhere. What, would, what advice would you give to a brand new person that has no, tr no experience in traditional markets and wants to start trading crypto? What would be the best advice that you would want to give them? 
that want to start trading in crypto or start trading traditional in, money? In crypto. Oh, okay. Um, well, definitely keeping, uh, having some kind of cold storage, uh, definitely number one. Making sure that you have a super solid risk management plan in place and a strategy that you're going to use every single time before you start trading. It's extremely important. Um, this has been a saying on trading floors for like a hundred years. You want to plan your trade and trade your plan. And that's pretty much exactly what I do every single day. There are certain guidelines that I go by and certain indicators that I use. And if, you know, like that strategy I mentioned before, if I don't have two out of three, I'm not going to say, eh, screw it. I'll place a small order. Nope, nope. nope. <laughs> I've done it too many times and gotten stopped out and wasted my money. Um, what you want to do is work out some kind of strategy and risk management plan so that when you're starting to trade, if you lose 50% of your trades, but every trade that you make is a two to one risk to reward ratio, you will still come out on top because you managed your risk even if you only won half of the trades. So that is possible to do, but you have to manage your risk properly in order to do that. Uh, normally your stop losses are going to be pretty tight, which is a little difficult to do in Bitcoin. When the, you know, when the market is ranging, that's probably a really good area to be scalping on smaller timeframes. Uh, when the market is ranging, I, that's normally not when I enter into larger long-term positions. Uh, for instance, right now, you know, we're ranging between $8,900 and $9,200, and we haven't been able to break down or break up either way. I'm out right now. I'm not trading that because it's terrible. I'll scalp it, but I'm not going to put a large amount into a long position when we could lose support and break down and go and see $7,500. Yeah, with me, I will do like longer term, like spot. I guess I call them swings. They may not be swings, but like I'll wait till Bitcoin. I feel like it's going to start bottoming, bottoming out. Like I bought some around, um, I think it was like seven, like seventy seven hundred dollars, and then I great waited, spot buy. And I waited for it to go back up to like close to ten k. I think I sold it like ninety five hundred, and it's with larger amounts. And like I'll do that, but then when I'm like when I'm margin trading. I'll do, I'll use like the daily and the four hour and I'll, there'll, there'll be like a couple hundred dollar positions and I do okay on those, but I make more, most of my money on the larger spot without any leverage because yeah. there's not, you're, you know, you don't really have that too much stress. Like I have, like, I've got a plan in play and I just kind of, you know, take a step back and, you know, focus on doing other stuff. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, and that's another really good strategy, especially, um, you know, like advice to beginners and stuff is, you know, start dollar cost averaging your way into Bitcoin. Like mm -hmm. if it's an asset that you're not familiar with and you're still learning how to trade, but you want to start investing into Bitcoin, don't go take $10,000 and spend it all on Bitcoin at one price. Right. You know, set up one of, there's plenty of apps that do it. I, I know Coinbase does it. I, I even think Cash App does this where you can set up daily, weekly, monthly, or whatever automatic purchases of Bitcoin and just dollar cost your way in. I did that for uh, about a year and a half of just from 2017 on and I dollar cost averaged. And I think I ended up dollar cost averaging all the way down to something like four or five K. Wow. Um, which, you know, it makes it even out. Bitcoin was going down, but at the end of the day, now that it's back at 9,000 or whatever, um, you know, that ends up working out as a good spot buy because you dollar cost averaged all the way down. So if you're buying the same amount every week, that's a really good way to start building up your portfolio. Um, you know, set aside a certain amount to day trade with and 
uh, like you mentioned, spot buying, like once you're watching the price action more closely and you're taking a look at those weekly and daily charts every so often, you know, pick a price point that you want to have another purchase, another larger one-time purchase of Bitcoin on, shoot for that price level and stick to it. You know, don't buy, oh, well, it's $700 off. I'll buy it anyway. No, don't do that. Just stick to it. If it doesn't hit, it doesn't hit. Um, but I think separating your portfolios is a really good idea. Dollar cost averaging is also a really good idea. And again, risk management as well. I hear that. So let's talk a little bit. I've got like two more things I want to ask you, but what was your best and your worst trade? (laughs) So my best trade was in 2018. I bought almost the bottom. Uh, I bought it about 4,300 on a spot buy and Everybody thought that I was crazy. Um, I don't mean like crypto Twitter. I mean like my family. <laughs> my the, the, family one, the people that matter. The people that yeah, matter. Yeah, the people, the, the, the real people in my life, you know. Um, you know, they, they all thought I was crazy. My, my dad especially, he was like, you're out of your mind. Bitcoin's down something like 78 or 80, 82%. You, you've lost your mind. Um, but I, I took quite a large sum of money and I bought in at about 43 or 4,500 and that was the last really, really large spot buy uh, that I did. And I've pretty much held on to that ever since. Like that's pretty much the value that my, of the Bitcoin that I have that I had originally purchased it at, mm-hmm. um, which is really good. Um, I think the worst trade, oh man, this is going to piss off the XRP army so bad. My worst trade was, was XRP. So that was definitely my worst trade. Um, it was actually one of the first cryptos that I had purchased uh, besides Bitcoin in 2017. Everything was at all-time highs. And, uh, you know, oh my God, wow, this, this, looks, this looks really reliable. Look at their fundamentals. It looks so good. And it's only 250. Little did I know, 250 was like a the top. lot. You're like the a top. Lot Almost the top. A, yeah, for a digital, I mean, you know, like trading penny stocks, I mean, they're still worth, you know, five, 10, $15 a share. XRP, I'm like, man, this is great. It's only 250, 260, whatever. Uh, I bought quite a bit of that. And uh, that was definitely my worst trade. I ended up getting out. um, I cut my losses early. There's probably still people holding on to that when they bought it at that level. Um, I got out relatively early. I think I got out after after it broke uh, below like 225 or, or $2. I ended up uh, starting to average out of my position. I completely closed my position at about a dollar fifty, and that was a that was a pretty severe loss considering the amount that I had bought. Um, I really feel bad for the people that are still holding that from then. But <laughs> I do have a good story about Ripple. I remember when I first got into crypto. I think I bought some at like ten cents or five cents, and someone was like, "Nice." What my mentor? He was like, "You shouldn't have bought that. It's like it already pumped." Da, da, da. I was like. Mm you know, whatever. So then it ended up pumping at like two, you know, $2, $2.25. So I did, um, I was able to sell some, like, I think at like 170 or something like that. It wasn't nice. like a big position. It was probably like a hundred dollars at the time because I, I'm very, very conservative with what I'm trading. Cause I don't trade full time. It's more like part-time for a hobby. Like if I want like a pizza, yeah. I'll go ahead and I'll trade, I'll do like a scalp to buy a pizza or something like that. Like, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's a really good way for most people to dip their toes in there. Like, you know, if, if you want to start beginning to learn how to trade, there's a lot of good platforms that offer um, kind of like toned down 
not as super crazy technical exchanges that mm-hmm. um, that people can trade on. Like eToro is one of those. Coinbase mm-hmm. is one of those. I mean, like I said, you can even buy and sell Bitcoin on on Cash App. You know, like there's definitely available ways to get it that don't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complicated. Um, and I think that that's really good for promoting adoption and spreading awareness about digital assets. Because um, at the end of the day, with everything going on and the Fed just, you know, turning on that printer and just burn the shit out of it, you know, just cranking <laughs> it, um, you know, that's not a scarce asset. So, you know, Correct. Federal Reserves and Federal Reserve Banks, they're worried about digital assets like Bitcoin and, and things that have, you know, Caps. one one set circulating supply once it hits it that's it it's all out there they don't they don't like that because there's no way for them to control that especially with it being decentralized um so getting getting back into dipping your toes in i think it's also um you know like doing your own research yeah you definitely want to research and have a fundamental knowledge of how blockchain technology actually works what it is what's the difference between centralized and decentralized tokens Mm -hmm. and all of that stuff like you have to you have to do a lot of reading. It's it's not something that a lot of people want to do, but unfortunately, if you don't want to lose all your money, um, you know you have to do your own research and really, really read and gain a good base knowledge of not only what Bitcoin is but the technology behind it. All right. Well, I totally agree with you on that. So before we get going here, go ahead and show yourself. Do you have like, do you have a group? Do you want people to follow your Twitter? Do you have a YouTube channel? Is, are you working on educational content? Like what, what do you want to leave people with or where they can, where, where they can find you? So, um, I mean, my DMS on my Twitter are always open. Uh, You guys DM him, not me, DM him. (laughs) Um, (laughs) this is not financial advice. They're not the droids you're looking for. Um, but yeah, my DMs on my Twitter are always open, uh, at Cobra trading. I links to my medium where I do, uh, once in a while, I need to get back to writing. Uh, normally that was something I was doing a lot. Uh, but I have a whole bunch of educational articles on my medium, everything from risk management to money management, to comparing all of the different kinds of traditional investment vehicles to digital assets and stuff like that. Uh, so you can check that out. Uh, the links to that and my YouTube are also on my Twitter page. And what I'm starting to work on now is instead of doing and just falling into that niche of you know being another paid group leader or something like that, um, the Discord market, in my opinion, is a little oversaturated. So I didn't want to do Discord. I didn't want to do Telegram or anything like that. Telegram's associated with a lot of like uh, just scammy stuff and, mm-hmm. um, you know, like signals services and stuff like that. I don't want to sell signals. I'd rather educate people so that they have the knowledge so that they can trade for themselves like I do. Um, I think that that's way more valuable than relying on somebody else to tell you when to enter and exit a trade and you don't know why. You're just blindly per- <laughs> trusting this random don't no face on Telegram to tell you when to buy and sell stuff. Not really good financial advice there. Um, so what I'm actually working on now is I'm going to be starting to put together an entire, uh, professionally done educational course that I'm going to be featuring on Udemy. And that's something that I've been planning on doing for a long time now. It's finally in the works now that I have the equipment and the knowledge to be able to, you know, in terms of video editing and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. um, be able to actually put that together. So that's something I'm really, really excited for. I'm going to start releasing more information about that in the future. Uh, but for now, if you guys want to go and subscribe to my YouTube, I do 
twice weekly Bitcoin analysis, uh, all mostly technical stuff uh, on my YouTube as well, twice a week. Awesome. Well, thank you again for your time. I'll make sure to have all your links down below. I'll have your Medium. I will have your Twitter. I will have your YouTube. When the Udemy courses get listed, I'll go ahead and add those in. But again, thank you so much for your time and have a good rest of your Absolutely, day. Absolutely, Wendy. It's been great. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks for having me on. Always.